0: Convict Australia podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Hi everyone. I would just like to start by acknowledging the dharawal speaking people who are the traditional custodians of this land and I pay my respects to elders both past, present and future. Today I have a very special guest with me, Tammy Reardon, who is a guide at the Isle of the Dead. Welcome, Tammy.
1: Hi, it's lovely to see
0: you. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And and I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Pateramee Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land that I am on today. They're um, Elders past, present and emerging.
0: So tell us about the Isle of the Dead. How long have you been working there as a guide?
1: Uh, on and off, I've been working as a guide at Port Arthur for 15 years. Wow. Um, my interest, however, goes back um, to my early teens when I, my first job was a volunteer archaeologist. It started me on this um, this path to to become a guide. So I've been working on the island for 15 years, um, on and off. And uh, Isle of the Dead is the final resting place of those that died at Port Arthur during the convict era, so between 1833 and 1877.
0: And where is it? For those people who have never visited, um, where can we find it?
1: Well, as the name would suggest, it's an island. It's out in the middle of our harbour. It's probably about a kilometre offshore from, from the male prison and only a few hundred metres from Point Poor, which was the um, the first established juvenile detention centre. within the So we're center.
0: in Tasmania, in Hobart, in Tasman. near Port Arthur.
1: Yeah, so most people know where Port Arthur is. It's about an hour and a half out of Hobart. It's, you know, one of the tourism destinations for people visiting Port Arthur. And, of course, it's very important to local history as well, so... And is it a big from... place? Port Arthur itself, um, the historic site, just Port Arthur, is um, about 100 acres. Okay. And the and Isle of the
0: Dead? Got...
1: The Isle of the Dead is only 2.2 2 acres.
0: Oh, okay. So what can we see when we go there?
1: You'll see a little island that appears to be a, a rocky nub in the middle of the harbour. You'll climb onto the jetty from the Marana. We have to arrive obviously by boat, and we'll walk on these uh, walkways just above where the people are buried. And unfortunately, for the convict burials, they were in unmarked graves. Um, Is that because they couldn't
0: afford their own headstones?
1: yeah, to start off with, it was because the uh, the Reverend John Allen Manton he said that they were sinners in life and should be forgotten in death. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, and then transportation of uh, convicts to Van Diemen's Land ended in eighteen fifty three, so rules were relaxed. Yeah, and that's when we have a few memorial stones being placed out there on the island for the convicts, and there's only nine of those. Okay. And And so there's free
0: settlers there as well. Did they separate them or are they just thrown in
1: together? No, they certainly separated them. Um, The Port Arthur historic site is set up so that if you're a free person, if you're a soldier, you live high on the hills with the convicts below in the valley. Right, so there's even
0: a class system in death
1: oh totally and And it is very evident on the island that that class system still exists on the low end of the island, we've got around nine hundred convicts, lunatics, paupers, and boys from Point who are buried and on the top side of the island, there's approximately two hundred soldiers uh, free free officers, and their families buried up there as well.
0: right, so. If I am searching for a convict, um, a particular convict, how would I find them? Is, is, is it all mapped out somewhere? Poor, how can I find the spot where my ancestor is? If you're a convict, we can't. Right,
1: okay. Oh, I, you do you have a list
0: of people that are buried there?
1: An incomplete one? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it appears that there is a gap Uh, I think they're Catholic burials, Uh, but there were fires where we know records were destroyed. So we believe there's about 600 that we we don't know of uh, their names. And even if you go through the records, having a look at the the death and burial records online, which is is very accessible um, through the Tasmanian Library System, It isn't always clear as to whether they were buried on the island because on the peninsula we've got several uh, satellite sites. We've got um, uh, the coal mines, we've got the Invalid Station, Quarantine Station at Primadina, and if if they died out in those outlying areas, they would occasionally be buried on the island, but there are other graveyards out there as well, so... Can't always say definitively if that person's buried there. If it's a free person, it's much easier, but we still don't even know where most of those are because there's only 80 headstones for 200 people.
0: Oh, okay. Do we know anything about the funerals? Did they, you know, did the convicts get any sort of ceremony?
1: Well, we do, and I. Just bought. Let me just give me a moment. I can find a description of the last burial. Um, we do know that there were um, coffin makers on site, and there is an abundance of timber, so it's reasonable to assume that they were buried in coffins rather than sailcloths and and buried like that. But the the last convict burial uh, on the island, it, it talks about, who was it written by? Oh, it was a newspaper uh, columnist. During my last day at Port Arthur, I attended the funeral of, I believe, the last prisoner who was buried on Dead Island. The man was in the hospital for some considerable time and when pronounced in a dying state, his wife was sent for from Glenorchy. Now we need to remember that this is towards the end of the prison system and that rules were very relaxed at this point. This was right. not always the case for the men. Um, unfortunately, she arrived too late and it already died. The body was conveyed from the hospital to the church upon the shoulders of four men, the bell being tolled at intervals meantime. Here the usual portion of the burial service took place, after which the coffin was conveyed down the Oak Avenue to the landing place, where two boats were in waiting, one manned by a crew all dressed in white, the other empty. Into the latter the coffin was lowered, and those attending the funeral having taken their seats in the former boat, the coffin was taken in tow and a start made across the bay to Dead Island. Slowly and solemnly, we proceeded on our course without a sound save the measured dipping of the oars and the ripple of the water neath the boat. Landing upon the rocky ledge, a procession was formed which was conducted by the grave digger over and among the graves of those already buried there until we reached the spot where the last of the convict inhabitants was to be interred. The rest of the service was read by the chaplain, the grave filled up and a return made in the dusk of the evening. So these men did receive the normal um, funeral procession and, and attendance, which seems a little out of place when they had no gravestones and no real true memorials.
0: Yeah. What about the direction that they're buried? I once read that depending on your religion, you, you know, you might, your body might be facing east or... Do you know anything about that?
1: What I do know is that the convicts tended, um, well, we don't know what direction they're buried in because we don't have headstones as such.
0: So we've never done an archaeological dig? To
1: No, no. There was a very brief attempt at doing um, ground penetrating radar uh, readings, and i believe they got about half a day done out there and uh, uh, somebody put a stop to it i'm not sure why how it was prevented and i'm having trouble finding the the report that they, they did the thing was the uh, with the island though is it's quite acidic soil so there would be very little remnants of of remains okay what they would be able to discover is is the the positions of the graves, and and that's about it. That's still not going to tell what direction the head is at. Mm. Uh, Most, I would say, just by looking at the layout, um, they're probably facing north, the same as the free people, So, which is interesting. Most of them are, are facing north. There is one, one grave, however, that faces west, which is the the grave of, of one of the, the wives of one oh, of the okay. officers. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So have you looked into the lives of any of these convicts? I have. Can I you have tell us them. one of your favourites?
1: Well, the the convicts, uh, their records are, are really quite easy to find. Um, mm. Luckily, the records in Tasmania, the convict records, are incredibly... Um Complete, and we learn a, a lot of information and oh, I don't know it's hard choosing just one story um, and, and actually, my focus is often on the free people. Oh really? Um, yeah, because their stories go untold a lot here at Port Arthur.
0: Mm, yeah, I imagine they would
1: be on our walking tours, we've got all these little signposts out here that have individual stories of convicts, so a lot of my focus is on free people. But one of the more interesting stories that I, I like to, to tell on on a tour would be the story of Henry Savory. He's a, an atypical convict mm-hmm. in that he'd come from a very wealthy family. He had fallen on hard times, his... Um, He's from a very wealthy background. He arrived in Van Diemen's land as a result of um, basically forging promissory notes in order to keep his sugar refinery businesses up and running. Uh, he'd married a very wealthy woman and he wanted to keep her in the lifestyle that she was accustomed to. Of course. So some, Of course, one has needs. <laughs> yes. Uh, so he arrives and... Uh, He's because he's uh, one of the few convicts that has any skills, reading, writing, arithmetic, despite the fact that he's uh embezzled and, and been convicted of forgery and fraud, they put him to work in the Treasury Department. It seems and, like a logical place to put it. Uh, convict yeah. skills. Course, of course. So he works there, um, he works diligently, um, he gets. He works quickly, he's got a bit of free time, he's allowed to earn money for working um, for, for others and he gets a ticket of leave and so he asks permission to have his wife and son sent over. Now, as a woman, his wife can't travel alone, she has to be accompanied by a man and, and luckily her Father's friend, uh, a man by the name of Algernon Montague. Wow, that,
0: that is a name, isn't it?
1: That's a name. <laughs> Algernon Montague. Wow. <laughs> he, uh, he's coming out to be a judge. So she's on board the ship. She arrives in, in Hobart, and it's a very small community. So she's already faced with this the fact that her husband is an ex convict. And when she arrives, she discovers that she's actually become the, the, the scandal of the town. There's rumours and reports that there's been a, a liaison.
0: Oh, on the mount. ship out here? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Do yeah. tell. Whether, whether that happened or not is a matter of pure speculation. But in a Who small was it with? town with Algernon. Oh, that they... is scandalous. Very scandalous. So you can imagine arriving, you're already on the back foot because your husband's an ex-convict, you've been branded a scarlet woman, but it hasn't been an easy journey for Savory. Savory, before he even boards a ship in England, he, he's rather concerned that he's, um, he's going to be hanged. So because at the time to be um, charged with with the amount of fraud that he's been convicted of, mm. it's a case of hung, drawn and quartered. Yeah. So he actually, before he's even nabbed, he's, he's, he's boarded a ship to go to America to start this new life. And as he's on board the boat, he watches a police boat row towards him and he knows it's for him because his business partner's on board. So rather than be taken, he jumps overboard and tries to commit suicide.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Death rejects him. (laughs) He bobs up to the surface. He immediately starts to beat his head against the the ship, trying to dash his brains out. Oh, my goodness. Death rejects him again. He's brought up by the police, thrown into a cell. He's got to fully be um, recovered before he can face trial. And that's where they sentence him to death. They give him 20 days to put his affairs in order. But on the 19th day, his lawyer walks in and says, well, you're not dying tomorrow. They're going to transport you instead. So that's when he arrives, works with the government. His wife arrives and she realises that all is not well. Immediately wants to return home. And he's heartbroken. All these years, done the, done the right thing, and, and she's going to leave. So he goes home and slips his throat. Oh, no. But death rejects him. The, the doctor sews him up. Uh, he's on the road to recovery. His wife has left. He is becoming quite disgruntled with the system, and he starts writing letters to the newspaper um, under a pseudonym. And it's during this time that he pens a novel called Quintus Serventon, And it's almost like I've not, I have to admit, I've not read the full book. One of my colleagues has. It took us six months to go through it. Um, It's a hard read. Yeah. But he wrote this book. And then he goes back to his old ways. He's charged with um, forgery again and ends up at Port Arthur. An author, David Burns, describes coming across Henry Savory in the hospital, describes him as a broken man, a man that has wounded himself again. He's reopened the wounds on his throat. Oh,
0: gosh, this
1: is terrible. But death rejects him again. It's only a few short months later that death comes knocking and comes collecting. Henry Savory dies in the hospital at Port Arthur. Uh, as a result of what they call paralysis, which is likely to have been a stroke. Oh, I see. They're not happy stories. No, that's a particularly (laughs) sad story. But he left a legacy. Um, Henry Savory remained in an unmarked grave. It's still an unmarked grave, technically speaking, but he he was unrecognised until the early 1970s when um, a, a literary award the Henry Savory award was it started to be handed out because Henry Savory is actually Australia's first published novelist well that's nice and so he now has a memorial out there on the Isle of the Dead the the current memorial's only been out there since about 1993 Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a very new addition to the island
0: any others you'd like to share with us
1: well, uh, how long have we got? <laughs> um, my my current, uh, I've I've I started a journey. It's a year today that I started my journey with the Stabley family. Today is the anniversary of the death of one of their children, buried on the Arm of the Dead. Uh, and so, are they convicts? No, these are free people. Um, and this is where, as a, you know, a lot of my interest lies, because, as I said, they're, they're usually untold stories. So the Staveley family have three children buried on the Isle of the Dead. Um, their firstborn child, uh, John Thomas. He was two and a half years old when sadly, he drowned here at Port Arthur, and uh, we have a, li- a lily pond on site where I think is probably the the site of his death. His father was originally arrived in Australia as a soldier and uh, comes down here to Port Arthur as a guard and eventually resigns and becomes a constable, a police officer. Uh, And he's here a couple of times uh, at Port Arthur. So John is sadly the firstborn, the first to die. He's buried on the island. His sister, Julia, she's only five months old when she dies of whooping pooping cough.
0: Mm.
1: Sadly, today, that was quite
0: common, wasn't it, to lose yeah, children? Yeah.
1: Childhood diseases is, is one of the, the most common causes of death amongst um, about 52 children that are buried on the island. Mm. So it's actually the anniversary of her death today. Okay. Um, and then their 18-year-old son, George... He died of bronchial pneumonia, but what concerned me is that he was listed as being unemployed due to blindness. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if George was born blind or whether he became blinded in later life, um, but I often think what it must have been like for a young man, 18 years old, to be living as a free person in a prison, unable to see. Mm. It must have been terrifying. And unfortunately their mum, Elizabeth, also died here at Port Arthur. She has no headstone. There is no record of where she is buried on the island. But with all three children in the, in the same grave, it kind of stands to reason that perhaps she's there with them. Yeah, so it's, it's a big chance. Yeah. Um, but the question that I was asked on on you know, a year ago, they wanted to know, the visitors wanted to know if there were any other children and what happened to them afterwards. And generally speaking, I only know the very basic outline, enough to, to do a tour. But I started to delve deeper into this family mm-hmm. and discovered that there were eight children in total. And of the three that I've been following, we have Mary Jane. Now, Mary Jane grew up and married a jailer. And she was born here at Port Arthur in a jail, and she was raised herself in a jail. She goes on to marry a jailer and raise her children in Hobart jail. Her brother, Charles, he is raised in the jail. Mm -hmm. He's born in the jail, and he grows up and he becomes a police officer. And he, part of his time, he's working here on point at, at, on the peninsula over at Impression Bay, Invalid Station, so an institution, and that's where he raises his family in an institution, as he had been done. And the last one, Matilda, I, I really held such high hopes that she would get out of the system. Yeah. Because I knew that she was the black sheep of the family, I discovered that Matilda had three children to three men, but she only married once. Now, today we wouldn't even blink at that, but I should imagine that back in the day it was an absolute scandal. I bet. So one of the the firstborn child, she fell pregnant to a a man here at Port Arthur. She was still living here as a young woman, Um, fell pregnant to one of the storekeepers, Um, and I I didn't know for a very long time what happened to that child because I couldn't find any trace of him. It was a, a little boy. The second child was to her husband, Frederick Easton, And I had my suspicions that he was a bit of a cad. And then I found an excerpt in the newspaper that less than six months after marrying her and making her a stepmother of five of his children, he abandoned her and he was charged with abandonment. But he must have gone back to her because they have this baby. But unfortunately, little Matilda, she passes away when she's three years old. The third child that she has is also called Matilda. Matilda. And her father was a nurse and the child was born at New Norfolk. And what you might not know is that at New Norfolk there was a, an asylum. And, that, and that's important in the story because two, two of her children were actually born. The last two children were born at New Norfolk. And I don't know what really happened to the last child either. But fast forward, at the age of 48, Matilda's picked up on the streets of Hobart. She's charged with being uh, idle and disorderly, which is essentially homeless, Hmm. without without someone to care for her. They put her into prison, into jail, where her sister is living, ironically. Um, She's jailed for a month. Then they move her to the Newtown Charitable Institution where she reports that she's attacked by three men. Mm. Now, in response to this, the doctor reports that she is excitable in character. She refuses to eat. She doesn't take her medicine. She won't wash. She becomes increasingly violent towards any that try and give her direction. Sounds like she's a victim
0: of abuse. That's...
1: Sounds like post-traumatic stress yeah. and trauma to me, but I'm no expert. But what the system says is that she's now a lunatic and she's sent to new, out to New Norfolk Asylum for 15 years. Wow. And that's where she'll die. Oh, that's so tragic. This woman that's been born and raised in a prison becomes institutionalised as well. The sad thing is that um, I do now know what happened to her two other children mm. um, thanks to I, I did a talk at Port Arthur about the Stavely family and it was advertised and some descendants saw it and reached oh, out. fantastic.
0: To me.
1: Mm. So they were able to tell me they were actually descendants of, of uh, Matilda's two missing kids. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they both survived. They, it appears that they were both fostered out um, and, and raised by, by other people and uh, have now got their own descendants out there in the world.
0: Um, yeah. Do you have any convict ancestry?
1: I have, I have a lot of convict ancestry. <laughs> yeah? yeah? Is this how you became a guide, is it? It is, it is. I only knew of one when I started working here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my four times great grandfather Bartholomew, he was uh, he was a convict at Port Arthur. Uh, I also have uh, my other four times great grandfather. He was a constable on Point Pua. Yeah, that was for um,
0: children, wasn't it?
1: It was for boys. Yeah. yeah, just just boys between the ages of nine and eighteen. And if anything
0: happened to them, were they buried at the Isle of the Dead?
1: Yeah, sadly, uh, we have around 80 lads from Point Pool are buried out there. 80? That sounds like a lot. I it know does. it sounds like a lot. But when you consider what's happening back in Britain, 50% of children don't survive to their 18th birthday. True, yeah. And then so what we're getting are the survivors of that. So they're already strong enough to survive all that out there. And they're brought back into Point Pua. Now, we had 3,000 boys go through the system in the 15 years that it's a prison and, and with a, you know, 50% life expectancy, 80 as opposed to 1,500. That's a pretty low number.
0: Yeah, when you look at it like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. And, and the death rate here at Port Arthur, it was comparable with anywhere else at the time. Mm. Despite the hardships, despite the working conditions, the living conditions here, the prisons were scrupulously clean. Mm-hmm. They they were scrubbed every day. They were lime washed, which is a you know natural antiseptic. Um, the men had to to bathe once a week. I know, tragic, um, <laughs> but a, a lot of them wouldn't have had those opportunities you know, back on the streets of London or Manchester or wherever they were from. That's right. It's
0: important to put it into context because, you know, a lot of convicts before they became criminals, they didn't know where their next feed was coming from. They didn't have a roof over their head. So for some prison was a luxury because they did know that they were going to get breakfast and dinner every day and they did have the security of a
1: roof over their heads. And I think some of them become institutionalised and, and that's why they become repeat offenders because, I mean, and we still see it in modern society today. Oh, definitely. That they're yeah. from, they don't know how to, to work a bank account. They don't know how to, you know, apply for jobs. Um, and, and it's easy for them to go, well, you know, I just have to do what I'm told in now. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to feed me, they're going to put a roof over my head. If I keep my head down, I can, you know, just. And you can imagine develop. the
0: stress of of trying to find a meal for your family every day, having no money. How am I going to do this? Like the stress would be incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to be in the prison system and think, I don't have to even think about that. I just have to focus on work. I, I can dream about what. I can do when I get out and when I finish.
1: And for some of of the prisoners that, you know, it it was um, the beginning of the beginning rather than the beginning of the end. Yeah. We have a woman buried out on the Isle of the Dead. She died of consumption when she was 38, but it was actually her father-in-law that first came out to Australia as a convict. Um, he was a, a kitchen gardener, an orchardist. He becomes a, an orchardist, and when he completes his, his his sentence, he can he can go back to England, he can go back to his wife and his two kids. But there's really there's no chance of him ever owning an orchard.
0: That's right. They had a lot better um, prospects after they'd completed their sentences to start anew, start afresh and start businesses and
1: really yeah, make yeah. something
0: of their lives. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, wanted to stay for that reason. I do know that Britain wasn't exactly encouraging them to come back. They had to pay their own fare to come back, which yeah. would have been yeah. a huge you know, huge amount to, to be able to save that and go back. But, That's yeah, hilarious. the opportunities, were it was worth staying and starting a new mm-hmm. life. And I know a lot of them wrote home and said to their families, come on out. And I often wonder if people deliberately, um, you know, turn to crime to get the passage out here.
1: There is evidence that that did happen on occasion, when you, where you've got somebody coming out to, to to pave the way, and then you'll have other families, you know, members commit you know, crimes to be sent out. I, I, I remember quite some years ago, actually, I, I met a, a descendant of, of someone on site, and they were telling me how the their ancestor, their their four times great grandfather, had been convicted as a as a convict and transported, on the same ship his wife travelled. She was free. She was a free woman, but she travelled with him on the ship and when they arrived, generally the the ship would be held, the the convicts would be on the ship for two or three days, quarantine, Mm. getting paperwork in order. But anyone free could jump off the boat and, and head into Hobart and she went and bought a pub. And and then she of it would have turned to the authorities and said, "Oh, you know, I wouldn't mind a convict servant. Oh, yeah, you know, have, like
0: imagine five. having your husband assigned to
1: you. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and uh, one of the, uh, if I t- tell that retell that story, sometimes you know, some of the husbands go, yeah, that's a life sentence in itself.'" <laughs> But but she had a husband assigned to her, worked in the pub, and you know basically started a new life. And and their family had stayed in in in, in Australia. Yeah. But the ailets eventually came out. You know, by the time he could afford to get his family out here, he had left behind his his son, um, who had been six years old. And by the time they were reunited. Um, James Jr. was 30, married with a family of his own and it was his wife that's buried out there on the Isle of the Dead now. So by his dad coming out as a convict, it paved the way for them to come yes. out and, uh, and live in Australia.
0: So the ferrymen that would take the bodies over to the island, the people that were making the coffins um, and doing the services, were were they convicts themselves? do you know
1: the certainly the boat the boat crew would have been convicts um, the coffin makers would have been convicts we did have have, a, have however um, free ministers so and we had both anglican and catholic priests here at port arthur so and, and generally they fell somewhere within that range so either of the of the ministers would perform the services. They go out on the boat and um, and perform the the service over the grave as well.
0: Sorry, it seems surprising that they gave convicts a boat to um, <laughs> use. No one ever tried to use it for an escape.
1: That's that's a whole other story. <laughs> okay. Not- not not the body not the boats that took the bodies out, but our commandant had his boat stolen. Oh really? Yeah, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Yeah. Well they're building boats here. They're they're teaching convicts how to build boats and ships, which seems very odd to me. Hmm. I mean, you'd be a bit concerned if you went into a modern prison today and found them learning how to build tanks. <laughs> Like how to bust out of jail in one swift move. And, and of course, there's a, there's a story about the Sarah Island where the last ship built on Sarah Island was stolen by the convicts and made its way to Chile. That's right. Yeah, that's a great story. It's a great story. But, of course, there is one person we're forgetting, the important uh, role of the gravedigger.
0: Oh, of course, yes. Who who was that?
1: Well, we have a series of them, uh, but we do have two very well documented stories of gravediggers who actually lived on the island. Mark Jeffrey, he was he wasn't out there a lot for a lot of time, but he was the last convict gravedigger. Um, and there's a bit of an interesting story about him that they put him out there uh, at his own request. Uh, He was a pretty violent man, and he caused them a lot of headaches whenever they locked him up, so that might have helped the decision to send him out. He was a very religious man, so every Saturday night they'd go out and pick him up, bring him down, and he'd, he'd go into a cell in the penitentiary. Uh, so that he could attend church on Sunday, he'd get his supplies and they'd take him back, on, back onto the island. But one night he lit a signal fire. And when the the soldiers got out there, they discovered that he was in a, a state of agitation and he refused to stay on the island. They demanded that he take them off, uh, him off. Because he would had what he called a visitation from his satanic majesty. Okay. Mm. So he uh, he came back uh, eventually. A few months later, they they sent him back out onto the island, and he was one of the last eight convicts to be removed from Port Arthur when it closed as a prison. Wow. The um the other grave digger, there's um. An interview that Anthony Trollope, the author, oh yeah, he came down here to Port Arthur and uh, and spoke to quite a lot of um, convicts etc. But he was fascinated with the idea of a man living on the Isle of the Dead, and he said, um, but of all the men, the most singular in his fate was another Irishman, one Baron. He lived on a little island all alone, and of all the modes of life into which such a man might fall, surely his was the most wonderful. To the extent of the island, he was no prisoner at all, but might wonder whether he liked, might go to bed when he pleased and get up when he pleased, might bathe and catch fish or cultivate his little flower garden, and was in very truth monarch of all he surveyed king of the dead I love it <laughs>
0: <laughs> it must be interesting to delve into all the lives
1: that you oh, know, are
0: people surrounding Fascinating,
1: and I myself do have a an ancestor buried on the Isle of the dead now uh, so my four times great uncle um William Doody he was, a, he was one of my few non-convict ancestors. Mm-hmm. He arrived in Australia as a pensioner um, soldier, uh, came out as a guard, ended up here at Port Arthur working, um, and when he retired from the Army, they made him a constable at Eagle Hawk Neck. Oh, yeah. So he was promoted to chief constable. So it was up to him to go out chasing ex-convicts, uh, escaped convicts, I should say. And so one day he was set off to, to chase down this convict with his constables. They caught up with the convict and, and William sent them all back here to Port Arthur. Well, he had to remain in a town that's now called Madonna, which is not too far. It's up on the next peninsula, waiting for the mail to come in. Uh, hadn't been able to get to Port Arthur because of storms for two days, prevented mm. it from getting through the, the heads. And so while he was up there, unfortunately he crossed a bridge over what's called the Sound's Rivulet and the inquest says that he slipped and accidentally, casually and by misfortune drowned. Casually drowned. I'd hate to see him do it in a businesslike manner. <laughs> It's such an odd way to say it, isn't it? It is a very odd way to say it. Um, and he, he left behind a wife and two young children, oh. left them penniless. Um, she applied for a pension, but they wouldn't give her a pension. They gave her a, a stipend of, I think, £10, which is a considerable amount of money. Um, but she did have to provide for those children, for you know, without a husband to to provide for them. Yeah, and, times are uh,
0: tough, weren't they?
1: Yeah, it would it would have been extraordinarily difficult for her. So now every time I go out onto the Isle of the Dead, I I get to visit one of my ancestors. Oh, that's
0: a nice connection.
1: It is. It
0: is. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about oh, this. It's such a fascinating place. Endlessly fascinating, endlessly. And how can we see one of your tours? You're still a guide there?
1: Oh, I certainly am. They'll be carrying me out on a the box. <laughs> um, It's uh, The Isle of the Dead is, is one of our additional tours. So yeah. when, when you visit Port Arthur, um, you get a two-day pass, which is great. Oh, okay. Um, at the moment, unfortunately, with COVID, uh, things are subject to change very quickly. Yeah. But the two-day the two pass essentially gets you um, an introductory walking tour. So it's 40 minutes, just an overview of the history of Port Arthur and a stroll through the site. Uh, it also includes your harbour cruise. Yep, it's a 20-minute jaunt on the harbour with commentary. But you can pay an additional amount to hop off the island for a 40-minute tour. Excellent. uh, We all love all the guides. I I don't think there's a guide that that doesn't love the Isle of the Dead tour because it is one of the few opportunities we really get to the nuts and bolts and and we get to introduce people. Yeah. Yeah. Of Martha, because when you talk about death, you have to talk about life. It's a natural progression. Yes, that's so true. Oh, fantastic.
0: Well, I might leave links in the show notes so that people know where they can find you and come and do one of your amazing
1: tours. (laughs) <laughs> We've got some very, very passionate guides, so it doesn't matter whose tour they get out on. they'll be sure to be very entertained and very informed.
0: And I think with all this knowledge inside your brain, you need to put it on paper and <laughs> give us a book to read
1: all about it. Um, you know I, I think I think there's uh, there's a few in there, but uh, you know, busy guiding. There's no time to sit and write. I know. And you just want to research for more and more. (laughs) That's what I do. I go home and do research. It's like, you know, (laughs) it's fun. No, I get it. keeps me out of trouble, as my mum would say.
0: Yep. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Tammy. And hopefully I'm hoping that you will come on the show again and tell us another aspect of Convict lives.
1: Oh, there's there's plenty of information about Port Arthur and convict lives to discuss, isn't there? Always. Oh, yeah. And I would love to. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank
0: you for listening to the Convict Australia podcast. If you'd like to show your appreciation and get more involved, there are a number of ways you can. The first is by signing up to Convict Australia on Patreon, and you will get some perks like the Convict Australia newsletter. Secondly, leave a review and tell your friends and family. This really does make a huge difference. And lastly, join the Facebook and Instagram group, Convict Australia. All the links I've mentioned will be in the show notes. Thank you again. Till next time.